We are going to spend some time now in God's Word. We're going to open our Bibles, if you have one beside you or with you or on your device, or very simply look up at the screen and the words will magically appear. Uh, we want to read this morning from Matthew chapter 25, quite a famous story that Jesus told, an illustration. And this is part of our teaching series that we're doing over the summer called Bite-Sized Unbelievable. As we look at one of the oldest statements of Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed, and think, what does that mean? Do I believe it? And then how do I articulate that today in a world that doesn't necessarily believe the same things that I believe? Listen now for God's word. Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left side. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when? Did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill and in prison and and did not help you when? The king will reply. Jesus will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Apostles' Creed says he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Let's pray for a moment and then we'll start. Father, help us never to detach your words from you. Help us to remember that 
You are the God who, who, who loves us, the God who died in our place and rose again, the God who invites us to find life and fullness and friendship in you. You are the God who said these words. You are the God who will come to judge the living and the dead. And you are the God who is here now in these moments, holding our hearts in your hand. Grant us an awareness of your presence, we pray, as we listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last week marked my one-year anniversary in Orangefield. And my kids are telling me, Dad, there's a lot of gray hair in your beard. Now, you guys who are in the back, right, middle, and you, you can't see it. So you can't, but you, the front, you can see the gray hair, yeah? yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, because of that, we're going to be here to a quarter past. <laughs> um, yeah, but getting older, maybe wiser, I don't know, we'll see. Um, but I, I wonder to myself, if I spend another year in Orangefield, what could I possibly look like? And we were going to throw this up on the screen. Is there another picture there? It's coming now. <laughs> what do you think? It's possible. Have any of you seen this, the face app that's knocking about, that makes you look wonderful and old? Uh, I think I look all right for an older guy, don't I? You know? Out, out. <laughs> I think I look all right for another guy, so do. Um, but it's interesting, it's interesting, it's interesting. And have any of you used this? It's an app you can put on your phone, takes a photo, it can age yourself, make you look younger, maybe fatter, maybe thinner, all those things. Have any of you used it? Some of you have. You can download it, it doesn't cost anything. But a story broke in the news. This microphone is cracking me up. So it is, hold on a second. And tighten it a bit. There we go. Um, there was a story broken in the news a couple of weeks ago on the back of this face app where they discovered that it was designed by Russians, nothing against Russia, but it was designed by Russians, and there was this whole outcry that were the Russians secretly watching our phones and recording our browsing history and collecting all this data and information on us. And everybody was phoning into the Nolan show in an outcry really please, like your life's that interesting. But um, it, was, it was interesting, so it was. There's this fear that one day your browsing history could become public. <gasps> Let's be honest, that wouldn't be a great thing, would it? Imagine, imagine, imagine. L- l- let me rest assured, see if you've got Facebook or if you've got Alexa in your home. It is recording absolutely everything you do, say, and think. They know everything about you. So they do. Imagine what that would be like if one day everything you had looked up online was just spread out before you. Imagine everything you said had been recorded and was spread out before you. Imagine everything you every good deed you didn't do along with every bad deed you did do was collected and recorded and at some point just 
laid out in front of you. This was the fear, essentially, that the guys were having as they phoned in to the Nolan show and the newspapers were picking up about this face-up thing. Um, But here's the reality. That is going to happen. That is going to happen. This story that we read this morning, it, it... it tells us that, that history is not going to go on forever and ever. It's linear, which means there's a start point to the world as we know it, but there's also an end point when there will be a judgment and there will be a judge. And all of those things, those secret things that we would be mortified if not arrested if people knew about will be spread out before us. And Jesus tells this story and says there, will is a ju- there is a judge and there will be a judgment. And not just here, the two previous stories in chapter 25 are about a last day and a judgment and a judge. And not just in this chapter, but right throughout all four Gospels, Jesus continuously talks often to religious people who come to church or synagogue. Again and again and again about a last day and a judgment. Jesus talked about it loads. And for the early church, the church that grew out of the followers of Jesus, his initial disciples, the early church, they were absolutely convinced that one day Jesus was going to return and he was going to usher in the fullness of his kingdom, the fullness of life that was possible in him. He was going to usher that in and he was going to right every wrong and judge every sin and bring about a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more tears, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more sin. And and so ingrained was this in the teaching of Jesus and the life of the early church that when the church fathers came together to put together what we call the Apostles' Creed, they put this line in that says he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Or maybe some of you are older, you remember the language, the quick and the dead. doesn't mean you're super fast. It's like quicksand or quicksilver that you find in Mercury. Moving the living and the dead. And this creed that we believe in, the Pentecostal church believes in, the Roman Catholic church believes in, the Eastern Orthodox church believes in, Every branch of Christianity holds to this truth and this teaching that that there is going to be a judgment day. And there is a judge. Jesus is a judge. And yet, if we're honest, we're all slightly uncomfortable with that kind of idea. We don't talk about it very much, sure we don't. True. And certainly out there, The idea of having a judge and a judgment on a last day has been totally rejected in secular society. Primitive at best, evil and dangerous at worst, and maybe some people in here have that thought or that tendency in their thinking. But what I want to do this morning, in just a few minutes, is to give you three reasons why judgment is not just necessary but is good news why it is good news that we have a judge. Okay? You up for this? Okay. You might want to take notes. Just throwing it out there, possibly. Uh, You'll certainly have questions afterwards. Three reasons why judgment 
is good news. First reason judgment is good news, it gives us truth. The idea of a judgment gives us truth. We, without a judge, without this idea of a final judgment, there are no moral absolutes. There are no moral absolutes. When you look at this story about Jesus and the sheep and the goats, who gets to say that the sheep's choices are more worthy or more noble or better than the goat's choices? Who gets to determine that? Who? A couple of weeks ago, Westminster, we talked about this last week in church, but Westminster uh, fast-tracked through a Northern Ireland bill to legalize abortion at 28 weeks. I have friends who have children who were born earlier than 28 weeks. I've never pastored and sat with a, a husband and a wife who have suffered miscarriage, who have shrugged their shoulders and said, oh, well, it's only a collection of cells. This bill really disturbs me. It really disturbs me. Who gets to make the moral call that 28 weeks is okay? Who gets to determine that? Who gets to be guardians of truth in something so weighty like that? You see, years ago, the average person on the street would have looked to the church for their understanding of, of, of what was true, of what was right, of what was wrong. But, but things have shifted in society, and then for a while, uh, the average person would look to government and the courts. But I think we've actually moved beyond that again. And the media are the ones in society that are driving truth and determining what is right and what is wrong by the amount of press coverage they, they show around something and how they speak about it. And what they're fueling is this idea that we saw in the book of Judges that everybody did what seemed right in their own eyes. The idea of truth today is formed not in the Bible and not in the law courts, but in the heart of each and every person. There are no absolute truths. Truth is relative. What's right for me isn't necessarily right for you. That's the, that's the attitude out there. That's what, what is being propelled. That is what's been pushed forward. And if that's the case, who gets to say that one choice or one thought or one action is more worthy, is more noble, is better than another? If truth is totally relative... And who gets to say what I think is better than what you think? And follow the line of thinking through. If that's the case, why only abortion at 28 weeks? Why not right up to birth if somebody wants it? Or after birth? My son has additional needs. Who gets to determine the value of his life? Is that a relative choice? You see, guys, if there is no judge, if there is no judgment, if there's no judge 
determining truth and holding humanity to account, then in a world of concentration camps and genocide, in a world of child abuse and pornography and human trafficking, in a world of female circumcision and child brides, and yes, abortion, who gets to say what's right and what's wrong? Who gets to make that call? You see, humanity has rejected the idea of a judge because they think it will lead to greater freedom and liberation. But here's the truth. Humanity needs a judge and a judgment to save us from the worst of ourselves. We need a moral compass in our society to ensure that the strong don't prey on the weak, to ensure that we don't live in a world where survival of the fittest is the mantra. We need a judge to determine truth and hold humanity to account. We simply do. Judgment is good news because it tells us there is an authority over humanity that tells us what is right and what is wrong. And we see his story played out in the pages of this book. Let me give you a second reason. Judgment is good news because it gives us justice. It ensures justice. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been hurt? I don't mean uh, fallen down, but I mean hurt by somebody else. If you've grown up in Northern Ireland and you're over 20 years old, you've experienced the troubles here. And for some of you, the hurt that came during those years was very real and very profound, whether directly for you or for people that you love. Maybe you've been hurt by a friend or a family member or a spouse who has betrayed you. Maybe you've suffered abuse (coughs) physically, sexually, emotionally, by words that have been spoken over you, things that have been said condemning you. Maybe you've been hurt by church, by something that's happened or hasn't happened in this very building that's made it really difficult for you to come back to and trust again in the midst of. Have you ever been hurt? See, sometimes we get to see justice done on earth, and that's why as a church, it's so important that we pray for our security forces. And we pray for for barristers and solicitors and judges who get to partner with God to, to uphold justice and to see his truth prevail and justice upheld. But they'll be the first to tell you. And you've experienced it yourself. You don't always get to see justice happen here on earth. And sometimes we're left with unresolved pain and hurt. And maybe this morning, some of you are carrying those things even today. And left unchecked, that pain, that unresolved pain and hurt, it forces you into one of two places. Either you collapse into despair and you retreat in yourself and life feels bland and you can't trust anybody. 
everything feels hard. Or you lash out in anger. You pick up the sword yourself. You choose violence as an option. We've seen that again and again played out in this country. But, but often for middle class people, we don't do it like that. We do it through our words and through our actions, through the attitudes of our heart played out. And it just simply eats us up. I, I read a quote, or I heard a quote. Um, Tim Keller quoted this when he was talking about something similar. There's a guy, Maslow Wolf, who is a Croatian um, philosopher, theologian. In his book, uh, his book is called Exclusion and Embrace. But I want to read this quote to you. It's the best thing on this I've ever read. Wolf writes, My thesis is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular with many people in the West. But imagine for a moment speaking to people as I have, whose cities and villages have been plundered and burned, whose daughters and mothers have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. Your point to them as you speak is that we should not retaliate. Why not? What will ever keep them from retaliating? I say this, that the only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence thrives today, secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take up the sword. It takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of a thesis that human non-violence is the result of a God who refuses to judge. And listen to this last line. In a scorched land soaked in the blood of the innocent, that idea will invariably die like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. Strong words. Strong words. See, what Wolf is saying is you don't have to fall into despair when you've been hurt. But equally, you don't have to choose anger and retaliation. There's a third option. And the third option is to turn to God and give your pain and your hurt and your disappointment and your heartache to God. What frees the sheep to live lives that are um, expansive and generous and kind and trusting and forgiving is the knowledge that there is a judge and it's not you and it's not me. And that one day every hurt that you have experienced will be put right. One day, everyone will be held to account for what they have done, whether they have been punished here on earth or not. The idea that there is a judge frees us from the obligation of carrying hatred and carrying hurt in our bones. 
The idea that there is a judge means that we can trust God who says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Third thing. Third reason why judgment is good news is it gives us hope. Kind of feel like I'm in the mood a wee bit. Yeah? Okay. Uh, when we first got married, uh, I'm allowed to tell this story, I've checked. When we first got married, um, we keep a tidy house. We're not clean freaks like some of you guys are. Some of you have OCD, you need to get checked out for that. But um, there's husbands nudging wives at the minute. But um, we're not clean freaks. We keep a tidy house. But I remember when we first got married, we felt this pressure, both our mothers have houses that are immaculate. What hasn't computed for us is they don't have small children running about them, which makes a difference. But both our mothers have houses that are immaculate. And when they would come to visit us, we felt this pressure to tidy the house in ways that aren't everyday normal. We dusted skirting boards. We pulled the sofa and hoovered behind it. Because we knew if we pulled our mum's sofa out, it would be clean underneath. Uh, do, you, do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel that pressure to, if somebody's coming to the house to clean extra? Yeah? You've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt? Uh, and, and, and even when they came, we, we felt this, this weight upon us of how much is enough. Have we cleaned enough? You know, when my mum runs her finger over the top of the door. She doesn't do that really, but you know, we, we felt she could. We felt this pressure. How much is enough? And Jesus paints this picture about the sheep um, living lives that release hope in every environment they're in. Sheep that live lives that do good continuously and of goats that live lives that are are selfish and self-centered and binge on Netflix rather than helping the poor. Does that sound familiar? No? Just a thought. And he paints this picture of these sheep being rewarded and these goats being punished. What do we do with that? How do we process that? Because we've inherited this idea of judgment that looks like a set of scales. You see a picture? See? You know what I mean? Like this here? This idea that at the end of your life you're wed, good on one side, bad on the other side. You know, and, and people out there, that they hold on to this vague concept of judgment like this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah? And this parable that Jesus paints of, of sheep being good, of goats not being good, weighing humanity. It's oppressive. Because how do you know you've ever done enough good to merit the reward? How do you know you've, your life has done enough good things to get to heaven? And you live your life with this constant pressure of, have I done enough? People say to me, Oksha, he's a good person, he'll be all right. Good by whose standard? How do you know you've done enough good? That's not even what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that we'll be wed. The Bible teaches that we're more like these guys standing at the bottom of the dawn wall, looking at this mountain that we cannot climb because God's standard is not do more good than bad. God's standard is moral perfection in every area of your life from the very moment you are born. 
Complete perfection. And if you fall from perfection, you fall from God, you fall from God's grace. It's a standard none of us can hit. It's not that we're getting wet. It's a standard none of us can hit. So how do we understand this passage that Jesus gives us about sheep and goats, about good and bad? The key to unlocking this passage is actually in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, by their fruits you will know them. So picture for a moment a, a tree or a vine that has fruit growing. And I grew up in Armagh, so picture an apple tree with apples growing on the apple tree. Apples show you that the tree is alive, don't they? That the tree is healthy. Do the apples cause life? Think about that for a second. The apples reveal life, but do the apples cause life? No, of course not. Something else causes life, and the apples are the fruit that reveal there is life there. That's why James says, faith without deeds is dead, not because the deeds are what save us, but the deeds reveal that the faith is real. By their fruits, you will know them. The good deeds that Jesus talks about here are the overflow of a life that is loved and a heart that is forgiven and a soul that is transformed. One more quote. This time from Tom Wright, a bit of a hero of mine. Tom says, Judgment is good news because the one through whom God's justice will finally sweep the world is not a hard-hearted, arrogant tyrant, but the man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. The Jesus who loved sinners and died for them. The Messiah who took the world's judgment upon himself on the cross. Because here's the truth. This is the truth. Every single person faces judgment. Every single person, just like we talked about at the very start, will one day stand before the judge. But if you're a Christian, if you're someone who has given your life to Jesus, what has happened is the judgment that was destined, was meant to fall on you at the very end of your life, at the end of history, actually falls upon Jesus in history on the cross. The judgment you deserve, the condemnation you deserve at the end of your life falls on Jesus as God the Father judges God the Son in that moment for the sins that you have committed and will commit. And the wrath of God falls upon Christ instead of you. If you're a Christian, everybody will face judgment but not everybody will bear the consequences of that judgment. And when you get to the end of your life and you stand before the judgment seat, and I don't know what that's going to be like and you don't know what that's going to be like, but when we stand before the judgment seat and your life is laid bare and the full weight of that verse that Paul says, for the wages of sin are death, is looming over us. 
the judge will come down out of the dock and put his arm around you and will say, I've already paid the price. I've already paid the price that you owe. And the difference between sheep and goats is the sheep know they're forgiven. The sheep know they're loved. The sheep know that the judgment of God has already fallen on Jesus. So they get to to live lives full of assurance, knowing that heaven is coming. Know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They get to live lives that are full of hope and lives that release hope in every environment. They get to go out on the streets and clean up gardens for neighbors and give plants away to neighbors and and visit people who are elderly. Why? Because they know they are loved and they know they are forgiven. And they're not doing it trying to earn the favor of God. They're doing it because they have the favor of God. There's been an awful, awful lot talked about this morning. I want to invite the band to come back up. And I want to give you a moment just in silence to respond. Be quiet, be still, bow your heads. David prayed in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And lead me in the way of everlasting life. Holy Spirit, come this morning and search us. Some of us are living, holding on to to hurt and pain because of things that have happened to us in the past or been done to us in the past. <coughs> Jesus, you are the judge. You are the one who will, will make wrong things right. Come, Holy Spirit, and work in the hearts of your people to set down those hurts, those griefs, those pains this morning. Bring healing of hearts, Lord, I pray. Some of you are living with a Christian faith but not an assurance of salvation. And you still carry this lingering thought. Even though you've, you've prayed a prayer, you've asked Jesus into your heart, you still carry this lingering thought of, am I good enough? Does God really love me? It's as if somebody gave me a picture before the service started. It's as if you are, are watching faith, watching Christianity through a window and thinking this is all there is. But you're still living your life with a sense of fear. 
Jesus is saying to you, you get to come into the room. You get to be with me, not just now, but for all eternity. You don't have to live your life with fear. There's more. It's not about watching through a window, but it's about living in relationship with Jesus, both now and for all eternity. You get to have an assurance of your salvation. If you're, you're doubting that this morning, and if you are a Christian, Holy Spirit, come and strengthen that faith and strengthen that belief that it's not about us being good enough, but it's about you being good enough, Jesus. That judgment gives us a hope and a certainty of salvation and life with you forever. And for those who are watching through a window and haven't yet taken that step of faith, today's the day. Why would you want to go on trying to do this by yourself? Constantly feeling not good enough, fearful of death, uncertain of, of, of what's coming next. Today's the day. Jesus is saying, come in. I stand at the door and knock. Hear my voice. Open the door. I will come in, Jesus says, to your life. I will transform everything. As we sing this song is the prayer you pray to ask Jesus into your heart. And if you're a Christian, I invite you to sing it. And if you're not a Christian and want to be, I invite you to sing this song. There is our Redeemer.